Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. folks thank you for tuning into another episode of bucks of america podcast i am your host jeff vance tonight's podcast with is with Corey glenhausen he is the founder creator of tenacious hunter and we were sitting here before we hit record and we want to discuss like what is one solid topic that he's a he's a, a subject matter expert expert at because he's he's actually seen we were discussing and like how his techniques have improved as technology has gotten better and i think and and, and we were talking about my some of my experiences like how i've been primarily used to be only public or private land now it's like i really appreciate public land taking advantage of the onyx system and so i got a hunt coming up here in a few weeks to go turkey hunting so i was explaining to him what i've been doing but i want him to talk about like how things have progressed because he's got a lot more years of experience underneath his belt than i do when it comes down to scouting because he's he manages a business he's a family man and he's he's growing tenacious hunter and it's like these guys in the two in the group because we've had johnny on the podcast we have jeff and we have a new guy nate that we'll bring up in the conversation but all these guys are all around wisconsin and illinois but they all have to work within what they have for means and they they really have a solid strategy but i think i'll let core i'm gonna turn this over to Corey, and i'm gonna let him explain everything from there uh, yeah, yeah, I'll start out just a little background of me and where I started out. Um, you know, I've been in hunting family. We had a big family hunting camp and dad and grandpa and everybody, they were all bow hunters and the whole family. And uh, I grew up in northern Langley County and we never had any, you know, private land or family land to hunt on. So we were uh, northern Langley County. I mean, it's just it's public land is, you know, as far as you can go, it's thousands and thousands. I'm talking like. 20, 30, 40,000 acres. And another nice thing about the county land in Langley is you can uh, you can use ATVs, which, you know, back back in the day when I started out, we were still riding three-wheelers around out in the woods. So you could get way back in there and go to some really secluded spots. And that's how I grew up hunting. And like you said, you're making the transition to public on the last couple of years here. I'd say, you know, five, six years, I've actually, you know, been getting the opportunities to private land and private land and food plots and stuff like that that's all kind of new to me and something I've been learning but uh anyways um yeah I grew up hunting you know the same chunk of county land and I say the same chunk it was you know 20,000 acres worth and just you know doing what dad and grandpa taught me how to hunt edges and swamp edges and uh hardwood edges and stuff like that and then it was 2008 one of my friends was working out in Alma and he was on the power plant out there working and he found some public land to hunt out there. And he's like, yeah, why don't you come out and hunt with me? And that, well, actually it was 2007. He was out there. So we went out there in 2008 on this um, piece of public he found. And I ended up climbing up on a bluff on November 1st and shooting a 170 inch buck. And it's still my biggest buck to date. And well, I'll say he scored 170. I was back when I was, I think 21 or 22 and how good I could 
score a buck back then you know I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll call him high 160s for sure but i don't know if he was 170 but i mean he was a giant for public land and that was kind of the eye opener you know what I, I don't have to hunt langley county all the time in this you know chunk that my family's hunted forever there's other public opportunities out there and that's when i started branching out is after shooting that giant buck out there Nice. Then, so no. Since you since you really sound the benefits or had a really solid experience with it, do you do you plan different hunts throughout the year and throughout Wisconsin? Then, do you like come down like Crawford County, or do you go up to Door County, or anything like that, or do you kind of stick in your area? Um, that's the thing. I went out there in two thousand eight and I shot that uh, monster buck, and you know everybody was giving me and my buddy that we're going to go out there. They're giving us shit about going out to Buffalo County during the rut. They're saying, oh, you're going to see nothing but hunters and no deer. And I went out and shot that giant and that kind of silenced them for a while. <laughs> and well, well, of course, and they're like, are you going to go back next year? I'm like, well, hell yeah, I'm going back next year. They're like, well, you ain't going to get lucky two years in a row. And I went back out there the following year and climbed up on the same hill. And, uh, it was the same Saturday, the 2008, it was, uh, November 1st and then 2009 the same Saturday was actually October 31st and I crawled back up there and shot another eight pointer the first time in the tree stand so I killed back to back off the same ridge so got two two bucks out there so when you when when you first found that play so when your buddy found it in 2008 then or 2007 Seven, what yeah. yeah so did you guys have any digital scouting or did you guys use plot maps no. like how did you guys like determine like this is where we're going to hunt at did you guys do scouting he, prior to he actually was working with a local out there and okay. the local guy told him about it and he said yeah you should go check out this uh county land that uh, it was a county or township it wasn't dnr land so it was kind of you know a hidden a hidden spot that you know back then you didn't have apps and stuff like that to know about that public land so that's how he found out about it. And uh, yeah, I went out there in two years and shot two bucks. And then, um, you know, like I said, that kind of opened the door to, you know, made me realize there's there's more public land out there than the the chunk that I've always hunted in northern Wisconsin, or I should say northern Langley County here. And uh, after that, you know, I think I got into, I had so many pieces of public land that I got scouted out around home. I didn't feel the need to go back out there. And I've never been back out there. I went out there and hunted to them two years and and you know I just never felt the need to drive that far back out to Buffalo County to hunt. You know, I always figured if I'm gonna drive, you know, that far of a distance to go hunting, I'm just gonna go, you know, jump to a different state and do a non-resident and buy another tag. But um yeah, so it started back then. Um, you know, all you had was plat books. Um, that's what I was just telling, uh, Jeff before I was going through all my stuff about a month ago and finally got rid of the plant books. I don't need them anymore. I had, I think I had four different counties. So I pitched all them cause I don't need them anymore. And, you know, I used to just be paging through plat books, looking for yellow or green squares. Cause that was, you know, county or DNR land trying to find some place to hunt. And then, you know, you had to just map it out on your, on your plat book, how to get there and what roads to take. Cause you didn't have you know, the cell phones or the GPSs and stuff like that back then. And then uh, got a little easier after that than the DNR had their um, their web web match mapping feature, I think is what they call it, or called it back then, where I could actually go online and you could, you know, just scroll around the state and you could look for DNR lands on online. And then I ended up printing all them maps off. And the color printer really helped back then. You know, if you had a color printer, you could print them off and, it, you know, you could see the different shades of color on the on the maps where the 
DNR land was and where different, you know, terrain features were. And that's what I was telling Jeff before I had a, I had a binder. I kept all my printed maps in and I'd be out walking around in the woods. You know, you didn't have GPS on your phones or nothing like that, unless you blew the money on a Garmin or something like that. And even Those back then, cheap. No, they weren't cheap and they were pretty simple too. It was just, you know, kind of a, a black dot on a screen and a, a line as you walked and then, you know, it'd trace your steps and then you could turn around and walk back and, you know, get back to where you're going, but it really didn't show anything. You know, it was just kind of a fancy compass is all it was. So yeah, I used to carry that binder around out in the woods, you know, making notes on it and marking stuff. I had a red marker with, that's what I always used was, you know, that red marker showed up the best on the, on the maps I found because it was the, the colored maps with the, you know, the green shaded DNR land and then the, uh, the tree cover and all that stuff. So I always had a red marker with, cause that used, that worked best. You know, I tried black markers and blue markers and that blended in too much, but the, the red marker stood all good for marking stuff in the woods when I found it, when I wanted to go back and hunt it. Okay. So then now when you were buying these plat books, were like, what was the price tag on, on a County? I don't even remember. Um, I don't think it was terrible. I mean, I want to say, 40 50 dollars which back then that you know that was a good chunk of money but yeah even now it's a good chunk of money that's that's a that's a half a gas tank yeah it was i mean the worst part back then was you know trying to uh find a place to buy them you really much you you know you had to go to one of the you know county offices someplace or the because i don't even think the dnr like a dnr office i don't even think they had plat books i think um you had to find them in uh you know some kind of a um and then that's the thing too, if you're working all week, you know, wherever they sell them at, you know, whatever county office, they're usually only open from eight to two or something like that, you know, some wacky hours. So you got to kind of, you know, take time out of your day to go there and get them. I don't, I know the biggest score I found, I was down at Krupp's meat market in Bowler. I took some uh, meat down there to get processed and walked in and they had a Shawano County plat book sitting on the counter there. They were selling plat books. That was the, the easiest plat book find I ever found was they were selling them right at the, at the meat market. Talk about a good way to corner that market. Then it's just like go yeah. and buy a whole bunch of box books. And hopefully somebody will come back and buy them and get your money back. Yeah. That's why I lived in Langley County. I ended up down there because somebody said they had, uh, you know, they did a good job processing meat and I was getting some snack sticks and sausage made and I didn't have a Shawano County plat book yet. And I walked in and there's one on the counter. So this for sale. Said, oh yeah, it's for sale. The holy crap. <laughs> I got my Shawano <laughs> County plat book. I was more excited about that than uh, getting my meat done after that. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but like growing up, well, like my dad was always a, uh, was a traveler. And even one before, even before he had me back in the, in the uh, early eighties, like he used to travel all the time on a, on a bike, on a, on a motorcycle. And as soon yep. as he got word that it's like, Hey, I'm pregnant. It's like, well, he sold all of his toys off and stuff like that. Never, and he only bought a, he didn't buy a bike until like 98, 99, but never really got back in the hobby. But he always used to have atlases around. He'd always update them because he always like when he was bored, instead of like watching TV, that's what he would do. And he'd just grab his magnifying glass out with his trifocals on and trying to read it. And, but that's what he do. He'd look for different things, go check out. That's where I've kind of got my, uh, my, my feel for adventure. Like why I've been traveled all across the country. So like not really hunting, but hitchhiking and, and uh, going from there. Cause during the last recession of an 08, I lived in Phoenix and that area got hit so hard that I lost everything. Lost no, lost my job, my truck, my apartment, everything. Hmm. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be homeless and it's now keep in mind, this is July in Arizona. So it was a hundred fucking 10 degrees at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. So it's like, well, 
I could either be homeless in the streets here or actually go hitchhiking. So I just got rid of everything I owned and just took off from there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's adventure right there when you just, you know. Oh, I'll tell you what, it was definitely a trip. It was, yeah, I had something. That was how it was, too. It's like I, I started in Arizona, worked my way up to, got above the Mogollon Rim there, spent a few days up in that area there, hitchhiking around public land. Thank goodness for that. And then hitched a ride to, over to, uh, where was it? Oh, New, New Mexico and screwed around there for a while. And man, it was, it was, it's, it was fun, but, uh, but yeah, it's like being yeah. to, in today's world, like having this technology is great, but it's just like, it's almost has, it's like sentimental, you know, yeah. looking at those plat books or looking at an Atlas. Yeah. I say they were. And I say, I finally, I finally got rid of them just to say a month or so ago. As you were saying, your dad had this, you know, kind of, uh, he was out looking for adventure on a bike. No, my dad was, you know, complete opposite, you know, when it came to hunting, he had his, you know, he had his spots that he goes and hunts and that's the only place he's going to. And to this day, it's the same way, you know, gun season, I go back up to Northern Langley County just to hunt with my dad. Cause you know, he's got his, his, you know, a little chunk of hardwoods that he goes to, and that's just what he sticks to. He doesn't like going out and venturing around and going to new spots and getting out of his comfort zone it just you know kind of freaks him out i think yeah i, got, I can understand that because it's like how old's your dad uh he's 60 62 now oh man my dad's a little bit older yeah my dad's turning 70 and it's like since he retired oh, here he's he's actually taking advantage of it and actually going and fishing more yeah he was never was a big hunter he just got into mm-hmm. hunting because all of his friends did it and so growing up it's like you never we we, we spent time hunting but not not um whitetail is mostly small game like rabbit squirrel and pheasant and stuff like that when it came down to hunting it's like he he, he worked for a quarry he worked for a quarry and it's like they're always moving rocks so it's like even during during boat early early season shotgun in iowa and then even um he never got into bow hunting because he messed up his shoulder so he was he was always working so the only time he had off was to go actually go deer hunting was during muzzle season the last two weeks right during christmas and new year's eve and that's all he had but it's like it wasn't thing it was more of a it's just guys hanging out and that's how how it was and i guess i never saw showed any interest in it or I never offered one or two but anyways but uh, yeah it's like so why does he continue always going back to that same set of hardwoods then does he is it is it is it known to produce for him or something <laughs> nope i say if he gets a picture of a spike a 10 pointer or a bear on camera it really doesn't matter you know that's that's what he knows that's what he likes he feels comfortable and he just keeps on going i mean it used to be good back in the day it was consistent you know at one point i shot my biggest i had like a I had an eight pointer i think he scored like 134 or something like that mm-hmm. yeah he, uh, he had shitty brow tines if his brow tines have been longer he would have been nice but he was i think he was 21 and three quarters on the inside he was a wide buck um it's actually called gordy's hardwoods that's what we always called it um across the marsh my grandpa that was his hardwood that he always uh gun hunted and he did real good over there and you know the whole northern langley county it's not the same as it used to be but there was this old guy named gordy i see i don't even think we know what his last name was and gordy would uh he would go over and hunt in this little island of hardwood off in the corner between the cedar swamp and the marsh that my grandpa was on the opposite side of. And he would usually go over there and shoot some sort of a decent buck. And my family got to be, you know, friends with the guy. And, you know, back then I say you had a three wheeler or you were dragging a deer by hand. And I think, you know, they helped the old guy get his, his deer out of the woods and they got to be buddies with him. And this guy would start off in upper Michigan. Cause, uh, 
you know, deer season opened up earlier than Wisconsin. I think it's the week before they'd open up. Okay. And there was good hunting back then. And, you know, he'd go up to uh, Michigan, he'd shoot his buck up there. And I don't know where he was from. I'm sure my, my dad doesn't even remember. I, Cause I've asked him where this guy was from. And he says, I, I don't remember or didn't really pay attention, but this Gordy guy, he would, you know, he'd shoot his buck in the UP and he'd show up in my grandpa's house with some sort of an eight or a 10 pointer. And they'd let him hang the buck in the garage. And then he'd go out and shoot a, another buck in this hardwood up there, load up both his bucks and go back to wherever the hell he came from. When I said, I don't, I don't know where <laughs> yeah. he was from. So I, I, I thought the names just stuck since, you know, the, this was back in the early nineties. They've always, they've always called that chunk Gordy's hardwoods. And, um, I say, then Gordy vanished, don't know where the hell he went or what happened to him. You know, if the guy just quit hunting or died or moved away or what happened, he just didn't show up and never came back. So my grandpa moved over there and he finished out his hunting career over there before he got too old to go out. And then once he was done, um, I took over that spot and my dad was hunting in my grandpa's original spot. And then when, you know, this whole me going out and shooting a giant buck out in Buffalo County and you know, starting to bounce around. I uh-huh. kind of quit, quit going up there and now my dad's taken over the spot and he's been hunting there ever since. So that's the story between Gord, behind Gordy's Hardwoods and uh, how it got its name and why my dad still hunts there, which my dad, he doesn't care. I mean, I kind of jealous of my dad, you know, I'm out, you know, sh- trying to shoot a big buck and, you know, my dad, it doesn't matter if it's a, a spike or a 10 pointer walks by, he's excited and he's, he's shooting and, He's just excited. It doesn't matter how big the buck is. And and he can go over there and he's got, you know, pretty much decent chance at shooting some sort of a buck every year. That's pretty exciting. I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta love that sim- simple choice about a whole thing. My dad just looking forward to going out fishing. He's got a chance. He's got a trip out to Okaboji here coming up. I, I wanted to get on to either the spring or the fall uh, trip out there, but it's like, we're booked up. So it's like, all right, well, I'll put my hat, my name in the hat. Or, uh, I'm on, I'm penciled in for 2023 for, for a May trip out there. Cause they, the guys go out there. Oh, five days or so. They've been doing it for the last mm-hmm. 20 years going out to Okaboji, going out fishing. And it's basically just a big old bunch of guys. Uh, when I first, when I got into it in 2018, 2019, was it my first trip 2018 or 2019? Either way, it's like, it was, there was like 17 guys out there. I mean, we had the, the amount of shit talking that going, the amount of booze we drink. It was just, yeah. it was hilarious. And all the food, I mean, pike and uh, perch and crappies and walleye. I mean, anything we could catch that was legal. That's like, it was just, a, it was just a blast. Yeah, that's a, that's a, my family growing up, you know, we were, we were all diehard hunters. You were up at three in the morning out and sat in the woods, you know, sun up to sundown, get back to the house and get everybody supper made. And, you know, you're lucky if you made it to bed by nine 30, 10 o'clock to get up and do it all over again. Yeah. Say we didn't, we didn't go out and, you know, go, uh, you know, deer camp hopping or bar hopping and stuff like that. Like a lot of the guys do. I say we were, we were always out to, you know, build tags, shoot big bucks, stuff like that growing up. But then that's, like I say, my dad, he never, he never left. So, um, when I started, you know, venturing out on all these different pieces of DNR land on my own, starting, you know, 2009, 2008, 2009 era, that's pretty much on my own because, you know, I'd ask him to go along and he, you know, he's just, it's it's out of his comfort zone. He didn't want to, you know, be out wandering around the woods that he doesn't know and get lost and, and I've got a great sense of direction in the woods. And that's a, my dad, he's always said that too. He says, you, you definitely got your grandpa's sense of direction. You know, I can go out in the woods and 
you know, whether it's, whether it's dark out or daylight, I can figure out where I'm going and, you know, uh, without needing a, a compass or anything like that, I can just read terrain and move through the woods pretty good. And, you know, he doesn't, I just said, my dad just doesn't have that. And I think that's why he gets uncomfortable sometimes. But, uh, I think I, I talked him into twice. I, I finally, you know, back when he used to bow hunt, that's kind of, I'm kind of, uh, the problem why my dad quit bow hunting because you know he's got to go by himself up north because you know i don't bow hunt up there anymore just because there's your odds of shooting a buck aren't that great there's not that many deer left and uh yeah so he doesn't bow hunt anymore because i don't go with him and you know he doesn't want to you know go running around crazy like me bouncing all <laughs> over the state in four or five different counties but i did get him to go a couple times and i think it was uh 2012 I finally got him to go out on a piece of DNR land in I think it was Marathon County you know and he was you know even in 2008 before I shot that big buck in Buffalo County hunting northern Langley County the whole entire bow season I think I saw two deer so you don't see much and I took my dad and I said oh you gotta you know try this DNR land and, you know once I got him out there we each drove separately because you know he didn't want to be stuck there all day with me if he didn't if he didn't like it so I'm, bring, <laughs> I'm bringing my own truck so I can go home when I'm ready and I walked him into the spot told him climb this tree the deer are going to come from this direction and I think he had seen one or two deer bow hunting up north all all season and a string of 10 does walked by him that day so he was kind of in shock he's seen that many deer and then we went and met up at uh, noon. And of course, he, you could tell he was just, you know, felt out of place. And he's like, yep, I'm going home. You know, he was excited to see deer, but he was just, you know, didn't feel didn't feel like he was in the right spot. And he he bailed on me. And I ended up shooting. I, I seen a, what the hell, I seen an eight-pointer that morning and it never got yeah. close enough for a shot. You know, we just hunt out of climbers. So I had this other spot scouted out where this eight-pointer went into. And I actually jumped over in that spot and climbed a tree out on the edge of this little uh, chunk of tags in a creek. And I ended up shooting a 10 pointer that night. That's, that's kind of disappointed. He didn't stick it out with me all day. Cause then he could have went and, you know, helped me shoot, get that 10 pointer out of the woods. Yeah. That was probably a lot of work by yourself. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I hit the deer. I think that was, that was the first deer I ever got on video too. I had POV cams going and it's on my old YouTube channel. And he was severely quartering away, and it looked like I shot him right in hind quarter. And I mean, the shot didn't look that great, but it didn't sound like he went far. And I went and got a couple of buddies, and we left the deer go for like four hours just to make sure it was, you know, dead if I didn't hit it that great. And I actually run the arrow right past his uh, hind quarter and the full length of his body, and the broadhead was buried in his heart on the off oh, shoulder. Oh, no kidding! So he didn't go. He didn't go 40 yards and we found him. He was all curled up in a ball. So he just, you know, ran and then he, he didn't drop, but he just, you know, curled up and bedded down. We found him with his head just tipped over, but his legs were all tucked underneath him. He was, he was bedded when he died. Probably it hit so cleanly. He didn't know what happened. He just kind of yep. got comfortable and like, this is, this is where it's going to be. And there was zero blood trail because I hit him so far back right in front of the hind quarter. And that was the only, you know, the only hole in his body and, but we went out there and, you know, we that's, just, that's what happened to him too. I shot him right above the shoulder blade, double lunged him, but it's like he jumped into another person's property. And it's like, I didn't have any blood to trail either. Yeah. This one went through some thick balsam. And I said, well, he we went that way. And we walked around the balsam and you could see the Luminoc glowing in the distance. And we walked over and here it was still stuck in the deer. So it was an easy recovery. 
no, my, my arrow broke. So it broke in two. And it's like, at that point, I was like, I need to buy new arrows. Yeah. I said that was back, you know, that was, you know, back when I was carrying my binder of maps around the, around the woods when I shot that buck. And then, like I was saying before, I don't know when Onyx came out, if it was, you know, 2014 or 2015. And then I got the Onyx app and that made my life so much easier, but it, you know, it also made everybody else's lives easier because that it did. You know, that was when you, you re- and you really didn't see the, you know, the, the influx and the increase in public land hunters probably till, you know, all the YouTube channels took off probably, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018. That's when, it, you know, everybody started downloading the Onyx app. And then you had the other ones, you know, what is there? There's Hunt Stand and Base Map and a couple other ones that have yes. been coming out with mapping features and, you know, that's when it started getting busy. Yeah, it's very true. It's because like, then with the with the popularity of uh, Steve Ranella and along with, uh, oh, who is it, Ray Newberg. I mean, those guys really pride themselves in, in taking advantage of the public lands. Yeah, I don't, I don't know them guys. I don't, I mean, I've heard of them and know who they are, but I've never watched or followed any of their stuff. But me, when I'm looking, you know, you know, back when I was uh, doing the, um, the plat books or, you know, even to this day, that's one thing that hasn't changed, whether I was looking at plat books on the DNR website. Now I'm on Onyx. I'm always looking for. So I can answer your question about Onyx. It was, it was founded in 2009. That's when it was founded. Yep. And then the Onyx app didn't release until 2013. And I, that's, I say, I think I thought, I, I think I started using it like 2014, 2015. It was somewhere in there. So at least we, at least we know we have a timeline of the product of when they released. Yep. I might've been using it in 2013. I can't remember, but it was, it was somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I'm looking for public land, you know, I have a river. I've always looked for some sort of a, a river just because you know rivers funnel deer so greatly you know you you find some sort of a river or creek you know there's going to be a a deer runway on either both sides or one side or the other you know and then just follow the river until you know find a a good spot where you know if it's a deep river you know you find a spot where all the deer are jumping the river where it's uh shallow or a fork in the river that's a great spot for you know deer to bed and uh bunch of runways to come together and even just being along water it's usually always thicker you know there's thicker brush thicker tags you know you got balsam trees up here any kind of conifer trees that that thicker terrain just you know holds deer better so that's that's one thing that hasn't changed pretty much through my whole hunting career is when I'm looking into to new chunks of land I try to find some sort of river body of water that's going to you know, funnel deer, hold deer, stuff like that. And that's, that's your point. That's where you start. And then from there you, you walk, that's where you just begin the walking. And then that's where yep. you start looking for scrapes and, and stuff like that to make where you want to make, where you put your, your education, your experience behind you before you set up a, a either, well, you, you hunt um, saddles, don't you now? Hunt what? You hunt uh, in saddle, uh, like a tethered setup. I've got one. Um, I like it, but I only use it for gun season. It's just, it's too much movement for me for bow hunting. All right. And especially with, you know, I got a camera on a camera and I'm trying to get everything on video and yeah, I don't know. I, I say people can say what they want, but I think these deer up here are just, you know, they're, they're pressured. They're a lot more jumpy and, 
you know, I've hunted out, I mean, even hunting out of my saddle, it seems like I can hold perfectly still. And it's like every deer that comes within 30, 40 yards sees me up in the tree. And I say, but, but I love it for gun hunting. Cause you know, when you're, you got the tree in between you and the, whichever direction the deer are coming from, I mean, that whole tree is just one big gun rest. You know, I can lean left side of the tree, right side of the tree. I can lean high, low. I've always got, you know, a good rest for my gun. And that's how I see these guys online there, you know, they're asking questions, you know, oh, can you, can you gun hunt out of a saddle? Well, I feel, you know, you can gun hunt out of a saddle a lot more effective than you can bow hunt because you've got shot angles everywhere. Where, that's you know, very bow true. Hunt, where bow hunting, you got strong side, weak side, and, you know, gun hunting out of a saddle. I mean, everything's strong because you can, you, know, you can rest on your, if you got to shoot behind you, you know, you can rest your gun across your bridge. I mean, it's just the possibilities are endless and if you got limbs on the tree it's just i mean they're they're spectacular for gun hunting that's very true yeah i use i i, I use uh limbs as much as i possibly can if i'm going to be hunting on the ground or if i want to be up in a tree I'll, i will definitely use whatever's available to create that steady shot that's it and that's a bull hunting you know i grew up you know when you're bull hunting you always want to have some sort of a backdrop but you know that's the tree and you keep all your movements in front of your body you know you got to move your hand to, you know, get your range finder, get your binoculars, draw your bow. You keep that movement in front of your body. And I mean, it's worked for me forever. And then you get that saddle where you're, I mean, you're hanging off the side of the tree and you're pretty much skylined for every movement you make. And I'm a big guy too. You know, I weigh 290 pounds and I'm six foot three. So, you know, maybe just my size, I just can't get away with the movement like other people would, but I guess uh, yeah, I'm same build you are. So, but yeah, say bow hunting, I'm, I'm pretty much strictly tree stand 99% of the time. But uh, yeah, back to my kind of my evolution of hunting, you know, I grew up, you know, always following the rivers and the edges and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, I didn't have, didn't have a lot of trail cameras back then. You know, I had, you know, one, two, three trail cameras and they were cheap wild game cameras that didn't work all the time. And anyways, uh, <clears throat> so cameras really didn't help me. You know, you were, hunting terrain and looking for deer sign and finding the best buck sign and setting up on that and then you know over the years you know i graduated college and got a job and you know started investing more and more trail cameras and cell cameras and um i said i used to it seems like i used to shoot more deer before i had a before i had the trail cameras and that's what people say well aren't, isn't trail cameras supposed to help you it's like well it kind of hurts you too because now you know what's out there living in the woods and you're, you're going to let all these other bucks walk by waiting for the, the one you're after where before I had a trail camera, you didn't know what was out there. And, you know, the first decent buck walks by, you shoot it. Cause that's, I mean, that, that that's what makes you happy. Where now, you know, I'll let some decent bucks go and wait for the mon the monster buck that I know is living yeah. out there. Cause I got these cameras all over the place. And, uh, the last, um, there's a giant buck. I was, I was after I found him accidentally looking for this other giant. I was looking for this giant 10 pointer that I had found in 2017. And I was uh, bombing an area with cameras in 2018, trying to find him. And I found this other buck that was a 14 pointer. I know he's a 13 pointer at that year. Um, and that buck kind of is what started my mock scrape craze because I knew right where he was living on private land and he would only come onto the public land at, uh, at night 
So that's when I got big into the the mock scrapes because you know it's an area that you can't you can't bait or anything like that. So I'm thinking, how in the hell am I gonna get this? You know, he's he's old, he's smart, he's not gonna move off the private land and on the public land until after dark. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Why would he? And um that's when I started getting in the big mock scrape things, trying to, you know, lure this buck out of his out of his uh home range where he lived and get him out of the public land where I could kill him. So that's when I, you know, got big into the mock scrapes and using those. And that's kind of been my my favorite thing to do the last couple of years. You know, if I find a when I do find a buck that I want to target, you know, I'll I'll start challenging them with scrapes, trying to bring them in in the daylight. Makes sense. I I just uh, I met ran into uh, Brian Sparks and he's putting he just put together a new mock spark new new mock scrape pro, uh, product uh, for with Lucky Seven Cents and boy I was I got a chance to run into Travis Bigger at the Deer and Turkey Expo here back in March and those two were just two peas in a pod that bromance is strong but the 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 testimonial that Travis gave me about his mock scrape and about how how he has these we managed to capture a couple of 170s, one or 180s on uh, on the cameras and, and different angles and video and pictures of it and how they just went to war because it was not even two hours after they, they put stuff down. They, they they all of a sudden their phones started blowing up and tactic cam was going off and here they had two big old bucks and one of them lost an eye because it's so it's, it's, it's so brutal. Hmm. That's like that monster. That's the biggest buck I ever hunted in my life. And uh, I hunted him 2018, 2019, and 2020. I pretty much dedicated those three years trying to kill that buck. And um, his time ran out 2020. He got killed uh, first day of gun season on, on the private land. You know, he, um, well, the public land I was hunting kind of makes this like big horseshoe shape. I mean, it's a perfect setup. It's like this big horseshoe shape with, egg fields all the way around the outside of it and then in the center is all private land and that's where he was living was in the middle mm-hmm. and then and then he would leave and go out through the public and you know out to the fields and he was living up towards the north side and we knew he was camped out there all the time and then that was 2018 2019 you know i had this area bombed with cameras so i if he was going to get out i was going to get a picture of him and actually the last year when he was oldest is when I got the most pictures of him in 2020, because I had a buddy that was, you know, after him too. And actually that's how I got to be friends with him. It was, we both met in the woods one day and we were both after the same deer. And instead of, you know, going against each other, we started sharing every piece of information we had and trying to work together and kill the thing. And uh, anyways, he was hunting up where that we knew that buck was living and he's seen three hunters leaving the public going back onto the private where he was living at so they must have been you know i don't know if they were leaving leaving their private land alone and hunting the public land but then i started getting pictures of him farther south and i started getting more pictures of him than i'd ever have and that's what we figured is these guys must have had pictures of that deer and they had you know bombed the area that he was living and they had pushed him out and he was living farther south which helped us because um you know now he was closer to the public where we could get on him and i was getting pictures of him on both sides kind of down in the bottom of the horseshoe shape at night all the times i had um twice that year i had a, a doe coming through and he come through chasing a doe and i just you know but we just couldn't get him to move in daylight he was always always at dark 
I, I here's a story for you. I was like, I was hunting early this year and I had this massive 170 class buck walking front run come. I, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. I was bored. The woods died down. So it's like, well, I'll just bleed. If there's, if something's horny, you'll come out and, and greet me. And sure as shit, not even 15 minutes later, the biggest buck of my life just out past his ears. And he came in on my, on my, on my weak side, on my right side. And he walked within 15 yards broadside and I had no shot. And really? it's like, and he did, he knew us like he knew something was off. Cause I mean, I just basically just stood as still as I possibly could, but being six two two ninety, really can't do a whole lot. Yep. And I'm just sitting in a little elbow of a, or armpit of a tree. And he just stops, looks around and just, turns around goes back the way he came in he didn't snort wheeze he didn't snap or, or uh, um stomp he just walked off no it was it was, a, it was the coolest experience i ever had i should have got pictures of it but i was kind of hoping that he just go a little bit further a little bit further yeah so this bug too on my mock scrapes i had him he was he was hitting just about every mock scrape i had out except for the one which you know that kind of helped because that was one less ridge that he was using and i even uh I had a mock scrape out for him in the summer and I had velvet pictures of him. He was hitting the mock scrape. Uh, I think uh, July and August, I had him on the mock scrapes and um, I don't know why, but I, uh, when I, you know, started trying to do this mock scrape thing to kill this big buck, I started watching all the videos online and, you know, I had tried mock scrapes in the past, you know, growing up as a kid and all through the years. And, you know, I'd find a spot in the woods that, looked like a good spot for a scrape with an overhanging branch, you know, kick the leaves out and put some scent on the ground and scent on the branch. And it, it would be, you know, it'd work okay, but it wasn't nothing spectacular, but it was when I started using the vines, I don't know why the vines, but I finally found some vines. There's not a lot of areas, you know, up in like Langley County where vines grow. But as I started venturing south, I started finding the vines and I don't know why, but that vine just works the best. I don't know if it holds scent the best. You know, I got pictures of bucks and does. They chew on the thing. I don't know if they like the bark or that shaggy bark on there, but I don't know why, but them vines, those vines work great, but that's what I've been using. And um, it's kind of like trapping too with the mock scrapes is, you know, like I said before, you know, I, you know, you find an intersection of runways and you look around for the closest, um, you know, a spot you can make a scrape with an overhanging branch and, you know, it might be 10, 15, 20 feet off the intersection and you wouldn't get much action because, you know, the buck had to, you know, leave the runway and walk over to that mock scrape. When I started doing the vine thing and, you know, I'd run a rope from one tree to the other or bend a tree over and then hang the vine off that. And you pretty much got to put the vine right over the runway and, you know, hit the deer in the face. It's just like, you know, a trapping. You got to put that trap just perfect where the animal steps right on the trap. And with the mock scrape, the same thing, you got to put it right in the deer's face. You know, there's no way that they can walk by it on the runway without hitting them in the face. And then, you know, once one deer starts using it, they all start using it. It's a good way to build your inventory. So yep. what is, so as you started like you, with the Onyx stuff like that, what, um, why'd you choose Onyx all the, over all the other products that are out there? Uh, I think when I started out, Onyx was pretty much the only, only one, the only option. Okay. And, um, so I was using Onyx for, I actually got, oh, was it last, uh, I think it was 2020. Um, I tried base map and, you know, base map had 
a whole pile of different like mapping options like you know views whether you know they had their satellite different satellite views and train views and all kinds of stuff but i think i was just so used to looking at onyx over all the years um i just stuck with that but my favorite um onyx app feature was the um uh what do they call it the hybrid view where it's the, the satellite view with the um, topo lines overlaid over top of it okay yeah i like that view and i mean i i pretty my onyx app it doesn't leave that view it's on that view all the time which base map had it too but you know there was a there was a line at the bottom of the hill and at the top of the hill they didn't have you know the 10 15 20 30 lines in between where you could see all the you know little the little changes and see like benches and stuff like that i was i was actually talking to i don't know what kind of rep he was for base map and i said that's the view i like and he's like oh yeah we got that one and he gave me a discount code and that's why i tried base map and i'm like well, yeah, it shows me the top and the bottom of the hill, but it doesn't show me anything in between. So that's that's why I didn't really fall in love with the base map and went back to Onyx. Mm -hmm. I do like that with with that because with how Onyx has that base, how they have that layers all stuff like that. Because that's how I've been able to find some logging roads on public land over here, like in Vernon and down in La Crosse County over in Crawford Monroe. It's like you could see where the the uh, where the log roads once were and then because yeah. it provides a nice little bench like i bet there's traffic right there and sure enough every time i walk by there's there's always or go to that spot or walk that road i'm always finding always either finding a tree stand because now with wisconsin you can leave the your, your tree stand out uh on public land all season now which is ballsy in my opinion but go for it yeah i say um i say i got i'm hooked on that view and now even like onyx uh I haven't used it much, but now they have like a, it's like a Google Earth 3D view where you can actually, you know, get on a desktop computer and you can tilt that map around and, you know, see the lines on the uh, hillsides, which is really helpful. But I say I'm usually on my phone all the time. I don't have time to get on the desktop, but that's, that's really nice too. I, have to, I haven't been on the desktop now. Uh, yeah, because it's probably yeah, I'll check it out on my desktop. Then I didn't know that was a feature that you could do because I, I I understood that there was a there it would make sense to have a desktop view, but it's like I'm always on my phone too, so I never actually thought about like actually digging into the uh, desktop. I haven't tried it lately. I know when they first came out with it, I tried it, and uh, I think this was last year, and it was real glitchy. It didn't work real great, but then they had an update come out, and I guess it works a lot better now. But I say that's that's only on the computer, I, and I think there is a there might be, I say I'm not an Onyx expert. I just, you know, stick to that hybrid map. I think there is an option now too, where you can, you know, tilt your map on your phone, but I'm not sure how it works or how well it works. I haven't messed around with it yet. Oh, I think I was, right. I was just looking at the Onyx and that's uh, the hybrid view. And then there's a button actually now there that says try 3D, but I've never, I've never messed with it yet. Sounds like we have some stuff after our after our conversation. It sounds like we're we're gonna be up for a few more hours digging into the into the features yeah. if we can stay awake. Yeah, I said I haven't tried it yet, but I know on a uh, like even too like before Onyx had that feature, you know, I'd be scouting. I um I like the Onyx because Onyx shows all your uh, you know mainly your I mainly used it for you know ownership and private uh, land boundaries and stuff like that. But, you know, once I found an area that I wanted to hunt, then I'd jump on Google Earth and then you could tilt the map and spin it around and, you know, look for different 
terrain changes. Well, I mean, uh, shouldn't say terrain ch changes. You can see that on a 2D view, but you're looking for elevation changes on that uh, 3D view. And then if Onyx or Onyx or Google, they don't have a leaf off uh, view, then I could usually float over to, to Bing Maps and even the uh, the DNR website. Now, uh, what is theirs? Theirs is called Hunt Wild. Um, they have a really good uh, view of the leaf off so you can see your transitions a lot easier on there. All right. Yeah, because I use the... Um... The, the the for farm management land and forest management land, I'll use I use their map for that. I have that bookmarked just because it's 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 if I'm setting at work, I have nothing going on. It's like I'm gonna pull this up real fast and see what's all going on here and see if I can mm -hmm. plan an excursion or something like that, or see if I can find some trees that I know I could be I could possibly find some uh, morel mushrooms or something. Yeah, hey, Sam. Hey, by chance, do you do you forge by chance? Do you go after like morel mushrooms or 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 ramps? Ramps, ramps. I mean, oh, I made my food plot the last three years uh, at my old house. Um, I had to plow, plow down ramps. I mean, people are like, "Oh my God, you're plowing them under!" I'm like, "There's ramps everywhere." Which we never call them ramps. It's like everybody's talking about ramps. I'm like, "What the hell's a ramp?" And they're like, uh, "It's a wild onion, is what it's considered, right?" Yeah, it's a, well, it's it's got a hint of garlic to it. I only heard about it from when I actually interviewed somebody from out out uh, east. I didn't even know it was. I didn't know Wisconsin had them. We always called them leeks growing up is what they were known to us. And I'm like, oh, you mean a leak? And I'm like, yeah, it's a ramp. I'm like, well, yeah, by us, the, the woods is covered with them. I mean, you'll, you'll walk through the woods and your feet smell like onions when you get out because there's so many of them. But I say I never got into them. Um, in the fall of my grandpa, we used to pick mushrooms. I can't remember what the hell the mushrooms are called, but I know what they look like. And uh, yeah, we used to go out mushroom picking. Boy, we had a good year and we just, you know, filled paper bags full of uh of mushrooms but morels i've um i've actually never had a morel and um up here they don't i say some people find them but it's not like you're gonna find a whole bunch of them you know i see guys down in you know illinois ohio stuff like that they'll get into a a patch of morels and that's like me and my grandpa you know back in the day we'd fill a paper bag i see you know guys doing that with morels these days and it seems like up here whenever somebody finds a morel there's only you know a dozen or so and they're not real big yeah, you usually have to go further south. No, Iowa's plumb full of them too, as long with uh, Illinois. Uh, even there's even well, there's also too that uh, there's uh, crews that come around. They'll they'll scour the countryside for them, and they'll come through and forge everything out of an area. Yeah, the weather's been screwing me so bad. I mean, I I haven't even had time to get out and scout for deer season this year. Now we're already turkey hunting because the the damn snow just never melted, and then the snow would melt, and I'm right, and I, you know I got. Wednesday or Friday or the weekend off to go uh, get some scouting in for deer season. Then it would freaking snow the night before. And I'd wake up to, you know, an inch and a half, two inches of snow. Well, you know, it's just enough snow to cover the ground and you can't see a scrape real well or a run wheel real well to get on the woods. So I say, I, I haven't got any scouting in yet this year. That's going to have to wait till after Turkey season. Now um, maybe, you know, this with the Onyx map, do you actually, do you have to, Per, uh, purchase that uh, feature for turkeys on onyx because I, I know it's no. okay it's it's part of your subscription because it's like i was trying yeah. to get the uh um the features to pop up but maybe in my area it's not 
I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm looking at it wrong or something like that, or I'm in the long, wrong view, but I was trying to get the turkey maps up to find out stuff, but it's like, this is not cooperating with me. I know I got the turkey zones on mine turned on right now, but I think there are like, uh, there's like certain public land, or I should say private lands that are only open to turkey hunting, I believe. Okay. And I didn't look at it all this year, but I think I looked at it last year and there was nothing in my area. There was only, you know, I'd say like, you know, the town of Portage, Wisconsin Dells, you know, um, all down very far south, uh, western Wisconsin. There were some turkey zones around there. I think the closest one to me was down towards Green Bay, but up up this direction, there wasn't really, there wasn't any, um, you know, just dedicated areas open to turkey hunting only. Ah, uh, yeah, I noticed that when I got further down towards Crawford and even further down towards the uh, uh, Wisconsin Illinois border, there's a few more spots, but that's a long drive. Even yeah. it's like you have to be up at two o'clock in the morning to be down there. It's this way you're walking in and without causing any issues, but then it's like, how do you expect to scout? You're going in blind. Yeah, I see. You're just well, that's the nice thing about turkeys and them gobbling. You know, you could show up blind and you just locate one off gobbles and then go after them. I'm not a very good caller, so I am going to get a lesson. I have a buddy of mine coming down from Green Bay uh, during that same weekend. He's he's got he's he's got some success underneath his belt, so I will just pick his brain and learn how he how he talks to him and go from there. And hopefully, I can duplicate it. So every every turkey I've ever killed in my life, I have used a mouth call. I've never had. Uh, Seems like you could call turkeys and get them gobbling with a mouth or a slate or something like, or not a mouth, with a box call or a slate call. Yeah. I could get their attention and get them to show up, but to get them in range, it was always like they knew something wasn't quite right. And then when I switched to a mouth call, that was like night and day difference. As I mean, you could talk them right in and it was, it was a game changer for me, me switching to a mouth call. Yeah, because I've, I've used box ones and I just, I can hear them, but they never get close enough. And even with me too, you know, I'm trying to run a camera and shoot the turkey. You know, you got a mouth call in it, just makes my life easier too. Yeah, or freeze freeze up all your hands to be able to move things around. Now, when you go turkey hunting, do you use bow or shotgun? Uh, <laughs> I've been trying to shoot one with the bow. Um, I just spent the last five days turkey hunting. I kind of got my ass kicked this year, but I was I was kind of due for an ass kicking on the first the first week of turkey season. Um, 2017, I killed one on the first day. 2018 i missed one with a bow on the first day and then 2019 2020 2021 all three years i killed a turkey on the first day and then i shouldn't say it last year um blakely got sick i was supposed to go out hunting after i dropped her off at or her and oakley off at daycare she woke up puking so i didn't get to go hunting opening day and i went out and shot my turkey on the second day but it was you know the first first hunt of the year yeah and this year, the, it was the same thing. I took the kids to daycare and got out, and uh, the weather was just garbage. And, um, oh, what the hell? My friend Tim was hunting with me. I don't think he saw any turkeys in the morning. And I got out there at 8.30, called in two hens, had a Tom goblin on the opposite side of the field of me. And we had some weather coming in. It was supposed to start raining. The wind was blowing all day, but it was supposed to you know, start blowing twice as hard. I thought, well, I'm not sitting in the, and that's another thing, turkey hunting, I get, I get aggressive. I go after them. I don't, I hate sitting there waiting and calling and calling and calling, listening to them gobble. I mean, I'll, I'm going after them and 
I had a blind set up and ready to go what I was sitting in and this turkey is gobbling the other side of the field. I'm like, well, I got a blind in the truck and I got three hours to kill. So I went, walked back to the truck, grabbed my blind, went over there and it was so windy, you know, I could get the blind up without the turkey hearing me. And there was like this little uh, crest of a ridge that came out of the woods and out into the field. And I know they always hang out over there in the woods. And I figured that's where that Tom was. And I wanted my decoys up on the crest of that ridge so that he could see them. And that's what screwed me. I went up there and I set the decoys up. And just as I was getting done setting decoys up, he gobbled for the last time and he had to been within 60 yards. And I got back to the blind and got in there and waited 10 minutes and started calling, but never heard him again. I think I spooked him. And then Thursday morning, went back out to the same farm and tried a different spot. And I had a Tom come in and uh, he was strutting on the opposite side of the field, probably 400 yards away. And then he got in a fight with another one. And, you know, the turkeys just watch, walk the perimeter of this big hay field and, 20 minutes later, they made it down to me and uh, he come in and kicked the shit out of my decoy for, I think it was like two or three minutes on the video. He was beating him up uh-huh. and I, I, I had the bow. I mean, I say bow hunt and I have the, I have the worst luck with turkeys. I don't know why. And um, I finally had some, something going right for me, bow hunting. And uh, fourth time I drew the bow back, he finally held still and I shot him and he took off running behind the blind. And I quick started ripping windows open. And by the time I got the windows open, I was only 20 yards off the edge of the woods. He was into the woods. And um, so I got my gear together, did a little audio on the camera after after the shot uh, video and audio and went out and started looking and found a decent blood trail down to the arrow on the side of the swamp. And then once he pulled the arrow out, there was there was nothing. There was where he, where he went by some grass about six feet from there where it was covered in blood and couldn't find nothing after that. And uh, Give me just a moment here. I'm going to show you the broadhead I'm using. Anyways, go ahead. Continue talking about your story about how well, he pulled. Well, that was it. The arrow looked like I shot a deer. I mean, it was completely covered in blood. And I looked around for a half hour, couldn't find nothing. Uh, me and Tim were messaging back and forth. And I finally said, yeah, you better come help me look for it. Well, then we jumped in the blind and watched the video and took Tim about two seconds to say, yep, you killed him. Because we watched the video back and it looked like a perfect shot. And we looked for two and a half hours and we couldn't find that turkey anywhere. We Yeah. It was a, it's like a Tamarack cedar tags it's just this thick nasty swamp and at the time there was still snow and ice down there there was no blood on the snow or ice so we figured he kind of headed down the edge of the field in the thick shit and yeah we don't know where that turkey went we looked forever we don't know if he you know got ahead enough gas in the tank to get up and fly or what the hell happened and that was thursday and i even went back yesterday and looked for another half hour just to see if the coyotes had found him and pulled him out of wherever he was and i couldn't find nothing so i don't know what happened to that turkey but I mean, the way the arrow looked and the video looked and everything, that turkey should have been dead within 60 yards, but we couldn't find him anywhere. Strange. Interesting. Yeah, so this I, is... Yeah, I was kind of due for... I'd say I've, I've had such a good run of, you know, anybody that's in any kind of, you know, hunting or fishing or, you know, whether you're a football player or any kind of sports, you know, you can have a, a good run, but good runs eventually come to an end. And my came, mine came to an end this year for the first week of turkey hunting. 
I gotcha. I, I got two more tags though, so I'll I'll be back out there. Oh, perfect, man. I, I just got the one because my I just I didn't I missed the deadline. And the other thing was all sold out for week one, two, three. And then I got that one right there. But this is the broadhead I'm gonna be using. So look at this bad boy right here. Different different positions. It's 150 grain and uh it's it's got a great aerodynamics flight to it. And mm -hmm. you know what makes it so unique is that these pivot. That's a that's the veteran, right? Yeah. That's 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 uh, that's uh, the new one that came out that and because it released four new broadheads, two new turkey broadheads. So that's that's the 151. So that's designed for um, uh, crossbow and bows. And then mm -hmm. then you have the guillotine. You got the bigger version. This is 175 grain. But look at that. So you can either lop up or you go or if you, if you, if you don't feel like you're going to be able to get a clean shot of the head, you'll be able to do a body shot and break their break the wings. That's a, I shot mine with one of my afflictor uh, uh, expandable. I've been shooting fixed blade the last few years deer hunting, but I've got some. Uh, I've been shooting the afflictor fixed blade, and then I've got uh, some afflictor expandables I used to shoot, and I shot mine with uh, that. But I do have the um, the uh, the Magnus um, turkey heads. What do they call them? The uh, I don't know. They're the the big decapitator heads. Yeah, similar to what the guillotine is, but yeah, this is this is the feature about them. So if you miss the, the instead of bouncing off the bird, they'll switch. They'll they'll, they'll just pivot. So this way, then <laughs> you're you're not losing them. And then they just re turn back to normal. Yeah, yeah. that's a, this this year just too busy. I didn't have time to go out. I mean, uh, to get my um, guillotine heads, um, the bull heads. That's what they call them. I didn't have time ah. to go out and get my because they don't shoot the same as my regular broadhead. So I got to go out and you know. You gotta practice. Uh, I don't. I mean, I really don't have to practice. I just got to get my sight adjusted. Mm. And I used to have it in my phone. That's what kind of screwed me too. Is I had it in my oh, phone. Oh no! Because I got the uh -huh. HHA sight. You know, I had to move it. I can't remember what it was. It was you know 15 clicks one way or the other, left or right. And I, you know, I had all the adjustments in my phone. So when turkey season was over, I could put my sight right back to where I needed it for uh, deer hunting. But I. I say I cracked the screen on my phone last year. Oh, I think it was like midway through November climbing a tree. I don't know if I put a climbing stick on it or leaned on it or something, but I cracked the screen on it somehow and it finally died early December. And that's when I was getting ready for turkey season. I was going to, you know, get my guillotine or not my guillotine, my bullheads back out and use them this year. But I lost my information and just didn't have time to go out and shoot the bull and figure out where I was hitting with the, bullhead so i just used my regular broadheads but still right for how much blood was on that arrow i mean that that turkey's got to be dead I, we just couldn't find the thing yeah so when's your next season when's your next uh turkey hunt uh, i got fourth and fifth season oh okay so yeah so i think this is yeah because they, they label they label them a b c and d you know and i got e yeah. so that's uh fourth season i'd be d and e yeah we don't have as many turkeys up here this year. Uh, that's, uh, I say that's a that's another issue this year. Like this year, I think I had pictures of two different toms. Usually, you got you got a half dozen different tom turkeys running around out on the farm. This year, I think I had two, and I've either wounded one or killed one, so I'm down to one turkey. So, um, I'll probably be bouncing around to different pieces of public land once season opens back up, and then the weather too. Like you know. I was hunting on Wednesday, started Wednesday, and, you know, the Monday before we had an inch of snow on the ground. Now Wednesday mm -hmm. rolls around, we're back to, uh, 
you know, bear ground. And as we're doing this podcast here, I've been watching the the deer walk by my cell cameras and now it's, it's freaking snowing out there again. There's snowflakes in the air on the cameras. No kidding. Yeah. We got, we got mostly rain down here, but we've been had wind last the, all oh, week God. long from last Wednesday to, to today. We've had wind. We've, we've 10 to 20 mile an hour winds. Snatched. We've had wind. It feels like for the last three weeks up here. That's what made turkey hunting, you know, last five days, you know, hard too. You know, I couldn't, I mean, there's spots where, you know, there's turkeys and we get in there and you, you don't even hear a gobble. It's like, how the hell are we not even hearing gobbles? Whether, whether they're on land, we can hunt or not. You should still hear some distance. Yeah, gobbles. exactly. We're, we're just not hearing nothing. So I don't know if it's just a lack of turkeys that there's not, you know, there's no turkeys out there to gobble or it's so damn windy. We couldn't hear them. And that's like even just moving around the woods too. You know, you go try and locate a turkey and you're doing calling. I mean, they can't hear you and you can't hear them because it's a stupid windy right. That's even my blinds this year. I've never had such an issue keeping blinds on the ground. I've got, I don't even use, you know, they got them cheap little shitty stakes that come with the blinds. I go buy the big metal uh, camp stakes and I uh, pin my blind down with those. And then this year I found these, there's these plastic ones. I got like these cleats on top that you can pull your ropes through and then they got uh okay they got little creases that you can cinch your ropes down nice and tight and then it wraps around the cleat so i put them on the outside so i had them four and then i had another eight you know the big uh camp stick holding the blind down on the inside of the blind and i still had blinds blowing away oh man that's frustrating i just before you got on i was talking to pat newcomb out of uh he runs the newcomb blind so i and i got a chance to interview him or have a conversation with him at uh, the deer or the out open season expo i still call it the deer and turkey expo but mm-hmm. uh he, we had a quick 15 minute conversation a breakdown about it and his he, he created a blind that only weighs three and a half pounds you could pack it up within a matter of removing two stakes and it all folds in on itself so this way you can pitch it however you want to see fit it's it's a three-quarter chair behind it but it's it's good for the guys like for yourself when you get bored for running gun but if you're trying to set up cameras and protect everything having like a maristep blind or a bull blind or whatever is probably gonna be the better option but it was yeah. it was he was a great guy and he's like i was watching i've been I'm scripts i uh follow his facebook and his instagram feed and it's like just tons of pictures of people just having fun with it and the price point it's only 109 bucks cheap in the ghost blind because i mean i dropped 300 bucks on my ghost blind then you have uh there's another there's another uh blind similar to that where it's just it's big old wall where it just kind of goes up the uh, where you have to specifically position yourself against a tree but he wants like 250 for it it's like that's just a little <laughs> expensive so i do run and gun uh i always carry my i got a Last year I bought the, um, I just had the cheap hunter specialties one that I would, you know, carry around that just folds up with that 3D leafy camel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it always seemed like, you know, you know, half the time you locate a turkey when you're running a gun and, you know, half the time you got the time to uh, put a blind up and hide behind the other half of the time you're so close to them, you just got to pick a tree and squat and, you know, get ready. And then last year I bought the, uh, I've got the Barnett Field Shield and that one's a lot nicer than that uh cheap hunter specialties one because it's got uh it's actually got um it's two hubs it's a hub blind so it's the two hubs that pop open and then it's got uh um like they're like pole stakes and then they're adjustable and then it's got a bunch of uh like extra material on the bottom so if you're not you know on quite level ground you can quick throw them you can just you know pop the two hubs open 
set it on the ground. It's kind of like a V shape and it just stands there. Or if you need to, you know, mess with the elevation, then you can use the stakes. And half the time I don't even use the stakes. I just, you know, pop it open, set it down and jump behind it. Yeah. That's what I've, I've, I've been able to, as I've learned and manipulated the ghost blind, you can do, you can do both. You need the little, have a little, uh, you can just prop it up and pitch it the way it needs to and provide the nice balance to it. Or you can insert the uh, bungee straps, bungee cord, like it's, it's a cord that comes out, prayer cord comes out so far, and then you just stake it down. So this way it kind of helps it out. But I had a fun experience with a little six, a basket six last year. I had managed to get some video of him, but he got seven yards out, saw himself in the mirror, kind of freaked himself out. He, hmm. uh, um, at, it turned to be like a whole whole 50 minute experience, but I'll just kind of trim it down. So the, so the, after he, cause after he came up, then he, then he spared himself, came back around me and then he came. And then once it, I was behind a big old tree, so he can't really see me, but once no. he was able to like get out of sight, then he followed us in back around. Then he saw himself again in the mirror. And at that point in time, he just, jumped up bunny hopped off and he just a snort wheezing all the way around and then not even five mm. minutes later 50 not even five minutes later 50 yards out he shows right back up and them ghost wind up they always look cool to me but uh like just the transport getting them out of, in and out of the woods look like the most awkward part they are a little bit awkward for us bigger frames though it's like we we have to pick and choose on how we're navigating through everything so it's like, I'm, it's just, it, I'm able to navigate with it pretty well. The only ways, yeah. what's that? As I say, field edges look like it worked great. But, you know, if I'm, you know, running a gun in the woods, trying to get through some, you know, the thick junk, you know, it looked like it might be a little noisy and kind of a pain to go through that stuff. Yeah. That's where I've, I've had to pick and choose my battles and where I, where I, where my point of entry is when I'm, where I'm, where I'm, when I'm hunting, where I'm mm -hmm. going to set up at. So this way that it's like either you have to get there really early for a morning set or I'll have to, I have to, Pretty much when when I know they're gonna they're gonna be about four hours out before they walk out, that's when I go and set up wherever I need to be on either begin the four uh, or up on a bluff where I know where a nice highway is, or I'm on a field edge or or tucked inside the corn. So it, it's got its pluses and minuses, but it's all depends on how you are. I like being on the ground. It just it's a whole different experience for me. So it's what I mm -hmm. it's the adrenaline that I like about it because it's like I'm I'm eye level with them. So if if I'm making too much noise, that's my fault. Yeah, it's a me and deer hunting and, uh, you know, hunting by myself and trying to run a video camera. It's like, I always, I'm always in a tree just because I can get away with that extra movement, trying to move a video camera around and then try to shoot the deer at the same time. Exactly. So is there, any, what's, what do you got planned for this upcoming summer? Oh, I don't even know what I got planned yet. I got so much, uh, so much junk to get done. Um, um, I am going to actually, you know, uh, tone it back a little bit the the public land that I do hunt because I'm usually I'm spread so thin and I just don't have the time in my life to do that anymore you know hunting so many different counties I've got it narrowed down to uh, probably five different chunks of public land that I'm going to stick to that I know are good and produce and you know just keep bouncing cameras around until I find a big buck and then once I find them uh, you know then start repositioning cameras trying to figure out uh, a spot to kill them and then I got some uh, new private ground too this year. So, you know, I'll be starting all over on uh, trying to get a couple food plots in for plan B and stuff like that. There you go. Sounds like you got a busy summer ahead of you. You're going to make yeah. it to any of the HHA USA shoots this year? I'm hoping to be, a, I'll be, I mean, I'll, uh, 
I'll be to at least one of them for sure. I usually always try and make it to the Rib Mountain Bowman one. I'm well, they have two there. I think they got an early one and then a late one. I um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this year if they're doing two there, but I usually always make it to one of those ones. Yeah, because he uh, Chris has slimmed it down because he's got the in May we got the Thomas Thomas Sparta. Then June is going to be oh, that's the I think it's Rib Mountain. Oh, that's. Well, that's a Warshire. Uh, let's see, what is that one? That's a this year too. It's gonna depend, you know, if I got the kids on a weekend that there's something going on, I ain't gonna make it. Yeah, that's understandable. That was and like then, the uh, the um, what what do they call that one now? The Open Season Expo that they had in uh, the Dells. Oh, Dells, yes, that's that's what the, that's, that's what's rebranded as now. It's the Open Season. I had the kids that weekend. I couldn't make it down to that one. When they're when they're older, it'll be fun, but. Blakely do fine. She'd she'd uh, have fun going, but Oakley, she's only two. She wouldn't she wouldn't uh, enjoy it for any more than probably forty five minutes. Yeah, that's about all you're gonna get out of that, especially for how young she is. Because mm-hmm. yeah, then you got uh, Mission Twenty One. That's August seventh and or sixth and seventh, and that is going to be at Wisconsin Rapids. Yeah, I've done that shoot before. I did that shoot once and uh, we got there as soon as it opened was, well, I don't know, eight or nine o'clock. And it was already, yeah. it was already 80 degrees and projected to be a hundred that day. That was a hot one. Yeah. They get, then the last one in August uh, 27th, 28th, that is going to be in Stevens point there at the uh, Blackhawk archers there. That's a fun one. I shot that one last year and that was just covering rain. It was raining. Just constant, just, just all wet now. That's it. He's only doing six this year. That is all. Yeah, I, I see you when you sit back and look at how many. Because um, last year he did eight. Shoots, I see how many shoots he's trying to coordinate. You know, you know, working the weekends, and you know that's not leaving him with much time off during the summer to get you know personal life stuff done and uh, that aspect. He's he's a busy guy. That is, yes, he is. He is very busy with everything he's got going on. Plus, he has his own podcast. is doing very, really well. So, I mean, and yeah, he's got he had Tyson on there and David Wooten on there, and uh, just it's they're always they're always very touching ones because he brings the brings gospel in, but he he gets the the guests to open up and talk about some deep stuff, and mm-hmm. it's it's never easy because it's like they're reliving some of the stuff that's going on, and then uh, at the the one that's coming up in May in, in the Tilma Warren shoot, that's when he's releasing their next video, the next movie from um, what's it? What's the name of the group that does all their work? The the rise rise the. I never remember the guys that do do all the videos, but that's been posting up on there. And that's supposed to be about uh, police officer awareness and, and PTSD and that in that line of field. But that's one like everybody's coming up. I believe uh, this one, Dave Wooten and, and um, Terrence are coming from from Texas. Uh, ben Klausman from the uh, where's he coming from? South Dakota is coming up. I believe she mm-hmm. was going to be showing up. So that's kind of like the, seems like that's, since that's the big one, everybody's going to be there. We also got the scramble too, as well. So I'm going to be there obviously. And so I'm, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'd say I'm a, I was even talking to Johnny already too. Um, We've always talked about wanting to get that, get up to bowl fest and try that. And um, I said, we've already mentioned that to each other and, We'll we'll see if we can get our, our schedules to line up and make it up there. But as of right now, it's not looking like it. But there's still a possibility we might get up there and shoot that one. That'd be it's fun. It's not far. 
it's not far from where he lives. So, you know, we don't have to exactly. go camp or anything like that. We can just stay at his place and just go do the shoot and check it out. I know um, Seth Baranowski and then uh, Nathan Metwiger, they were there last year and they had fun. I think they're going to be doing it again this year. My wife offered or suggested me going on up there too, but she's got a trip to Stevens Point. No, not Stevens Point, but uh, oh, someplace in Ohio. They're doing a girl's trip with her and her mom and her, her sister and her sister and niece. And I think it's the same weekend. Maybe I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure, but it, there it's, I know it's sometime in there, but then you also got uh, the Beast Mode Archery Challenge in July. That's a three-day event this year, and they're supposed to be bringing some vendors and such. And right now, he says it should be over 400 people. Really? Should be showing up for that event. So it should be pretty exciting. Yeah, I say. Then you got, I don't know if they're doing Deer Fest at all yet this year either. They got, you know, that's in the I mix. I believe they're doing. I think that's, I know that's in August, but I'm not sure if they're doing Deer Fest or not, but that I is haven't a, seen it. I haven't seen any official dates yet, so I'm not sure if they're doing it or not. I will look up on Facebook because it's usually on there because it's always there in West Bend. Yeah, I've actually. August 6th and 8th. There it is. So they are going to be hosting it this year. I've always kind of struggled early season bull hunting too. In the last two years here, I've found, uh, two spots that are really good that if I get the right wind and there's a decent buck in the area, I can get in there and um, try and kill them. Um, so August rolls around. I really start focusing in uh, running cameras around them two spots. So my, yeah. Those are, those are on my radar this year. I, I, I got a lot of confidence in getting one of them areas. I'm going to try and, you know, shoot one early. That'd be nice. And then I can maybe move off to a different state and get a, a non-resident hunt in somewhere else. There you go. Yeah, Minnesota's not that bad. I don't. I believe their price tag's still 160 or 180. They only they're pretty much the same price as uh, as uh, Wisconsin. But that's also the same weekend as the uh, um, Antler Archer shoot there too, as well. So it's like, oh, I'll go to Antler Archer shoot instead of going to Bowfest or not Bow. Yeah, not Bowfest, but uh, Deerfest. Yeah, yeah. I say I'm hoping to hoping to shoot some sort of buck before the month of November and. Uh, um, I think if I go anywhere, head down to Illinois and go down there and get a few days hunting and down there. There you go. Yeah. It's cause it, it's what 500 for the tag and then, but it's over the counter, correct? Yeah. That's the thing you go, you can go down there and buy a tag every year. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I, I have, um, it's where my, my, uh, in-laws live. So, and my father-in-law, the hunt, the, where they hunt at, they produce big bucks in between 150 to 200 class. I mean, his dad, pulled in i think it was 2013 he shot a 207 non-typical mm-hmm. off no, their land yeah and their biggest buck they pulled off and there was 305 pounds dress Jeez. that's yeah. a big deal. it was that yeah, was a big deer he was he yeah, used hitting big, the steroids so the biggest buck i ever had a hold of uh dragon was 274 pounds dressed out he was right around that price tag, right around that. Because if you look how big that neck is, it's he was the bully buck off the land. I shot once. I shot him. I had three or four new bucks that I'd never seen before show up on the property. So that was great. And then uh, a year later, the landlord told me he's retiring, and so he decided to said not renew my permission because it's like because he used to work second shift. Then now mm-hmm. when he retires, he has to deal with them all the time. So it's like oh. before, it's like they would they would they would yell at him for letting me hunt there. But it's like he just did it to piss them off, just to sure. piss their Cheerios. But uh, then he retired. It's like yeah, we won't be able to hunt out here anymore just because he, I, I had to deal with my neighbors now. 
that's it after after hunting iowa last year too i kind of got the crop rotation figured out down there and um i'm still kicking around the idea of maybe putting in for a uh over-the-counter uh muzzleloader tag try and get one of the leftovers and go down there in december and muzzleloader hunt there you go yeah if you get around to um uh, my no people in mitchell county no people in Al- uh Al- Milwaukee county no people all the way down in uh uh centerville Ottumwa, um Oskaloosa area so i know people around those areas too johnny and i the first year we scouted down there i think that was 2018 we stayed in centerville down there yeah i used to work there there used to be a a car dealership there called pete harkness used to work there and my ex lives in x line which is like five miles south of there but yeah that's great hunting down there fantastic stuff I was like me, Iowa last year. I had, I had a bunch of, I shouldn't say I had a bunch of cameras. I think I had six cameras down there and two of them were cell cameras. And uh, mm-hmm. I had my whole Iowa, you know, trip planned out. I was maybe going to do a late October, but if not, it was going to be, you know, pretty much uh, all of mid November. And my cell cameras were just, you know, on, on fire. I had, you know, nice bucks moving through in daylight, hitting my mock scrapes all through October. And I thought, man, this is going to be spectacular when i get down there in november and i got down there in november and the rut movement had totally shifted and was nowhere near where my cameras were it was warm it was warm yeah it it was warm and then there was never any um you know big changes in the weather you never had that big drastic drop in temperature you know the 20 30 40 degree drops you need it was just stagnant the whole year and just never got the deer up and moving that's like me even you know, even last year, you know, Johnny and I, we had so many spots scouted out and that kind of might've screwed me too. Cause instead of just focusing in on one area, I mean, I was all over the freaking state, you know, I I'd get into a spot and it'd suck and I'd right back out to the truck and move. And, you know, I had planned on doing all day sits down there, but I wasn't seeing anything. So I was in the truck moving midday and all the driving I did in Iowa last year, I never saw a buck chasing a doe. I mean, never, I'm not a spike, not a nothing. I never saw one buck, even just, you know, driving around, going from public land to public land. I never saw a buck in a field chasing a doe. I never saw a buck jump the road chasing a doe. Um, I had permission on Rick's down there. He's got an 80 acre farm I could hunt. I seen some, you know, decent, you know, rut and aggressive activity out of bucks, but I never saw a buck chasing a doe there. It was just, it was dead. The first day down there, I dove into a, a piece of uh, public land that Johnny and I never even scouted. We had just drove by it a few times and um, I always wanted to get in there and check it out. So I went in there and speed scouted it the night before and then went back the next day and I had a hot doe in there and there was, oh, I think six or seven little bucks chasing her around. That's the only doe I seen getting run by bucks yeah. in Iowa. Man, that's frustrating. I, I, I was supposed to last week, I was supposed to have um, Eric, uh, oh, what's his last name? Oh man, I can't remember his last name now. Eric, uh, but he 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 work, works with uh, Tethered and stuff like that. And he produces, mm-hmm. he shoots big bucks in public land down there in Iowa and such. When he was supposed to be on a podcast last week, I got sick. Then I was going to ask him to reschedule for this week. He's sick. Hmm. And he's if you go, if you follow, uh, I'll t- I'll t- I'll go on Instagram. And I'll tag in a couple of his, on a couple of his, uh, um hunts and he's he is eric oh rendell rendell eric rendell he's got no. uh yeah so he's he's had a heck of a, i mean i don't know if you can see this but i talk man. i talk to him all the time him and i are good buddies oh man but look at that monster yeah yeah him and i we 
we were we were uh in contact all last year and fall down there i haven't talked to him for probably i don't know three four weeks here but yeah him and i we we got to be good friends through social media and talk to each other yeah he's a good dude man he's he's really humble we were i was trying to set up a podcast to do something with him there at the iowa classic but he was just so busy and it's like and i i had to take off and drive back to lacrosse yeah, he was actually going to come meet up with me one time I was down there last summer and uh, checking cameras and doing some scouting, but his schedule just didn't line up. That's unfortunate. Yeah, so I'm hoping that um, he was out turkey hunting all weekend and the, the wind down there, you said it's like, in one of the, uh, it was up to, gusts up to 50 miles an hour. And it's like the turkeys are just shut down. He said, I was yeah. falling asleep in the blinds. So it's like, it's I just, been, like, I went home. And it was the same thing up here, that wind, you just couldn't work around it and it just never quit. And they say it's been that way for three weeks. Yeah, as I tell you, Iowa story, um, I was sitting in a tree stand up here trying to shoot a buck in Wisconsin. I took the last week of October off and my freaking cell camera was just lighting up down there. Yeah. I had big bucks in daylight. And then I was actually probably an hour from where I was going to hunt driving down there. And I had a, a solid 160 standing in front of my camera. Um, Gorgeous. Yeah, and then go figure that was the last shooter buck I had on that camera until December. Wow. When I was, when I was driving down there. And that, that's why I say I might want to, you know, pull a late season muzzleloader take because that camera, it went dead after that buck hit it. And then December rolled around and I had some more, you know, uh-huh. just tanks showing up on that camera in the month of December. So, uh, but anyways, um, I got down there for my November hunt and there was that piece of land that, you know, Johnny and I had, you know, just did a drive by and checked out and just never had the time to get in and uh, scout it. And it was always, you know, it's a me, I'm always, you know, looking for the next best thing. I'm never satisfied with, with, uh, what I have. And we had all these spots scouted out. I could have just went and jumped in one started hunting, but I just wanted to check out this area and it's not real big. So I could, you know, get in there and speed scout it real quick. And anyways, I got out of the truck and I thought, well, I was heading, you know, me, me with my rivers. It was a river system I was hunting. And um, I thought, well, I'll, you know, hit, hit the first runway I find and that heads toward the river and I'll just start, start there. And um, I was up on this uh, little knob of, uh, they call it long grass or switch grass down there in Iowa with the uh, cedars mixed in. It's switch grass, switch grass. Yeah, I see. I've heard some guys call it long grass. Other guys call it switch grass. I kind of, you know, stuck to calling it switch grass. But I could see off to my uh, southeast, there was like uh, a waterhole pond. And it was, you know, a decent waterhole or pond that you could tell it holds water year round. It just wasn't, you know, something that had water on during wet season. This was a solid waterhole. And the runway I hit was going down to that waterhole. So, um, well, that's a good spot to start. And I'll go check that out and see what it looks like. And then I'll swing over to the river. That was like 150 yards away and see what that looks like. And I got down there and I was in this little, you know, I was on the, uh, what I've been on the, um, North side of the water hole. We had a West wind and, you know, I'm stopped and I'm kind of just, you know, looking or looking the water hole over in the deer sign. And I kind of looked back over my right shoulder and up against this tree, you could see as there was a nice buck bed, like tucked up in this little thick spot. And it was a, it was a huge bed and you could see where this buck had been bedded up against this tree. So I, you know, just kind of turned and backed over there and got down on one knee and I was looking this buck bed over yeah. and I heard it. And I heard a grunt come from across the pond to my South. 
and I instantly froze and just kind of, you know, pivoted on my knee I had on the ground. I looked over there and I'm thinking, am I, am I crazy? Am I hearing things or was that, I mean, it, it just a one big loud grunt. I'm thinking that was a, that had to have been a buck that grunted. So I knocked an arrow and kind of scooted back on my ass and was sitting right in the buck bed and there's nothing happening. I can't see nothing moving. I sat there for like two minutes and then I kind of just crept back out to the deer runway where I was at and got down on two knees and just hung out there. And I had like the cam on my bowl resting on the, on the ground and was leaning it up against my chin there, just kind of looking it over and I'm not hearing nothing, not seeing nothing. And after, I don't know, four or five minutes, I kind of convinced myself, yeah, you're crazy. You're hearing things. That wasn't a buck that grunted. So I put my arrow back in the quiver and, uh, stood back up and stepped out of the thick brush out on that runway and this freaking big bastard jumped up right in front of me he was bedded on the opposite side of the pond no shit and i guarantee you he didn't see me and he heard me you know moving around in the brush down there and thought i was another buck down there in his bed because i guarantee you that buck you know he had different beds around that pond depending on what direction the wind was blowing and he was bedded looking over the pond with his uh back up against the farm field and it was kind of a hill so he had the wind blowing over that hill down to him and he could watch all the public land in that pond and the bastard. I mean, he was 40 yards away the whole time and I never seen him until I stepped out and he jumped up right there. And that's what he was doing. He was challenge grunting me thinking I was another buck over there. Ah. And, and uh, yeah, I, and, you know, looking back at it, I wish I would have snort wheezed back at him or grunted, you know, waited, you know, two, three minutes after he grunted at me, I should have, you know, grunted back at him. And that might've pissed him off enough to get him to get up and walk over there. And I could have shot him on the ground at 25 feet and bent down the first morning down there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a learning experience. I mean, at least, at least that's a heck of a story as definitely uh, one yep. for the memory books there. And I say, that's how I started out my Iowa. Well, I was down there in October and, didn't really do too great saw some deer but nothing to get excited about but it was it was hot and stupid and the weather was just junk yeah it was weird back. in iowa yeah it was really hot. I went, yeah went back for my november hunt you know i wasn't even hunting yet i was just doing a little speed scouting to get my uh i think i was down there for 13 days and that's how it started out and i drove jumped back in that spot the next morning and that's when i had the uh doe at the six or seven bucks chasing her i can't remember there was a pile of them chasing her around and then the opposite side of the river, like two o'clock in the afternoon, I had a real dandy come in over there, but then he, he winded me. And even if he went to wind me, it would have been, you know, a 40 plus yard shot over, over to him. If I couldn't grunt him over to my side of the river. And then after that, it was just garbage. I mean, deer weren't moving. And I say that the excitement lasted about a day and a half in Iowa. And then after that, it just, it got dead real quick. Yeah, I, I was I was down there in October because um, I was helping my roommate's dad out to get him prepared for the upcoming hunting season. And he was warm when we were down there and we were just we were just bass fishing because he's got a nice uh, farm pond down there. And we didn't see any movement out there. And the worst part was is like uh, we were we were out there uh, fishing, but then the, the farmer that he leases the land out to sprayed some anhydrous down. And boy, that just stinks it just resonates and it's like it shuts everything down like you, you're not moving anywhere so it's like we were the fishing was shit so we left went back to and his house and cracked open some bourbon yeah i i say i would they just we just never had that big temperature swing to you know get deer up and moving until late season then late season you know down there it got brutally cold and if you had any kind of a you know 
standing bean standing corn cut cornfield i mean you were seeing deer by the herds down there they were you know moving to that uh that egg food source so heavy down there in the late season when it got super cold is that, is that what your cameras were picking up did you have some on egg then yeah i had uh i'd say that big one that camera that lit back up with big deer in uh the month of december that was right off the side of a cornfield um now yeah because that's during muzzleloader season then do you, can you hunt uh can you bow hunt during muzzleloader season or, or is that shut yeah. down as well okay no you could you could bow hunt down there um yeah, I didn't make it down. Yeah, no, I was hunting. Yeah, I did bow hunt during muzzleloader season because Rick, who I was hunting down there with, uh, he had a muzzleloader tag, but he was hunting with a bow. All right. Because I know it was shotgun for some reason. They shut the season down for bow hunters. Yeah, they, they, they I think take he, that yeah, he, did, he did say that because I was going to go down there after uh, the Wisconsin gun season. And he told me that. He's like, yeah, that's, that's Iowa shotgun season. He says you can't hunt down there with a bow during the shotgun season. Yeah, and in between uh, season A and season B, there's like two days between the two. That's when you yeah, can go back out there. Yeah, I have no idea how that all works. Um, I say last year was my first Iowa experience. And then what's uh like after let's for just for um so you you put in for what how many years four years to get your get drawn? Uh, I think I had five five points or six points i can't remember wow and it's like that's 60 bucks a point and then on top of that you add in the, the tag so if if you when a, when a guy gets drawn after putting in a thing what's the price tag and all that it was like that's isn't it like over a grand after it all said and done be just not, just with the fees i think it's not quite a grand it's 850 dollars somewhere in there wow that's a and then on top of that, that i, I could have went earlier but you know with uh Blakely being born and then Oakley being born and them being little, I kept putting it off. And yeah. I think I had six points when I finally went down there last year. Well, then Johnny, he started sending in for points and him and I wanted to hunt together. So then I was kind of, you know, waiting on him to build up his points. And he had four points last year and he put in for four points and didn't draw. It seemed like everybody with five points was drawn. I had six points. I drew and then four points was kind of a lottery because I know some guys that drew with four points. And then I know guys like Johnny who didn't draw with four points. So that was another thing. Him and I were trying to, you know, hook up and go down there and hunt together, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, I can, it, it, it's so finicky with Iowa. My, my, sometimes I wish my dad could still be going. He got invited to go first season for a shotgun, buddy. Turn it down. He'd rather go fishing. Oh, that's, a, that's a not me one. Uh, that's everybody up here. They get into the fall musky fishing and. I love musky fishing, but once deer season opens, I'm I'm done on the musky waters. I'm in the woods the whole time. Yeah, and right now is like the time to go for like. Uh, there's a guy out of um, oh, over by Madison, and he he's pulled in some big monsters, and he says the best time to go fishing for muskies in October and in, in April. That's when he managed to get his 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 fifty plus. You know, yeah, I went. Uh, one of my friends he used to be a musky guide, and I've fished with him once. That's my only October. Uh, musky fishing experience and uh well that's when you go out and soak suckers and you know the fish are fattening up for winter and that's what he was telling me um you know you can fish with suckers whenever you want but in the summertime it's with the hot water temps the, the suckers don't last long they die or with the colder water in october he says you can soak suckers and if you don't catch a musky on it you pull it in and throw it back in the cooler and you can reuse it the next day 
True. Or, you know, or in the summertime, you know, the water's too warm and the suckers die right away. Yeah. And the suckers, yeah, and the suckers don't go deep enough. So it's like, good luck. Yeah. That's another thing. He said, uh, you know, they don't go down to that deep, cold water. No. And uh, was it in May? Okaboji does a musky tournament down there. Oh, really? Yeah. They, it's it's fun watching them. When, when I was down there, when, when, when what dad says, it's like, it's fun watching those guys just burn gas because it's all they're doing they're just trolling around and they have their they have their their uh their planers out and just driving around and hopefully to pull something and catch something it's like out when we were when i was there it's like you could look in the parking lot you could see people from oh let's see oklahoma kansas missouri would come up minnesota south dakota people would drive from all over the country to fish this tournament but you'd only probably see mate well it's such a big lake. It's like you probably mm-hmm. only see like five or six boats at a time, but there's yeah. usually 15, 20 out there uh, driving around to see if they can catch something. Yeah. I never got into trolling. I say I've always just been, you know, bouncing around the shorelines casting. I've been yeah. on friends before, you know, if I got friends that got uh, their boats rigged up for usually trolling walleyes, that's everybody's trolling for up here. But I say, I never got into trolling and buying all the gear that goes with it. Yeah. I don't, um, I'll once once my once my dad passed away, I'll have a boat, and then I'll make a decision at that point on how much I want to put into doing all that trolling stuff like that. I just like hitting up the spots for bass, and then I've been fishing with him so so frequently. I know all the lakes in northern Iowa that I know I can put myself on perch or bluegill or crappies, so I'm not too worried about it going after those bigger fish. Well, man, we've we've had a lot of fun in this conversation. It's like the summary of it all is Onyx is the way to go. Yeah, I say Onyx. Well, Onyx is the way to start, and then uh, you know, make your make your plan from there, and then get out in the woods and walk around and tweak it and figure out uh, what everything looks like in real life. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, stick with the water and find your highways from there, and go, and then try to set up accordingly. Yeah, I say then. Uh, these days you got to avoid the hunting pressure because you know, you're not the only other public land guys out there. And I've never had a, a lot of issues with the, uh, the public land guys. It's when you get, you know, back into these, uh, you know, corners of public land that's off the beaten path and away from the main roads, you, you run into the private land hunters and, you know, the, you know, you run into public land hunters. Most of them are pretty, you know, friendly and get along with you, but the, the, pri- the private land hunters, they kind of, just they just treat the public land around their land as an extension and they think they own that too and i've got into issues with them guys yeah i that happened to me last year i was in vernon county up on top of bluff there and it's like i'm looking at the map and i dropped a pin there's like this is still this is technically farm management land here but it's like i didn't have onyx at the time so it's like well do you want to have a conversation with the dnr and and go from there and it's like but i didn't have onyx so i didn't why did i didn't i didn't have that ace in the up my on my sleeve but it's like i just just said fuck it left it and walked down the 600 vertical feet uh where i where, where i started at that's like that big buck i was talking about before that i was hunting for three years um that's what i say last year i kind of felt lost because i didn't have him to go after i'd you know he spent three years hunting one deer and now he's gone it's like you know <laughs> where do i go from here because you that was your goal for so long and then it's it's gone it's like you kind of feel like you know i say it's lost you don't know what to do or where to go it's starting over did you not have any other bucks on there that there were potential target bucks i I did on that same property i had another uh couple bucks that were you know 
definite targets to go after, but none of them came back. But I think they all got freaking killed because of that big buck. You know, nobody can keep their mouth shut or their trail camera pictures to themselves. They got to show off to their buddies and, hey, look at this, you know, monster buck. I got a picture of. Well, then, you know, people start figuring out where you're at and where you're hunting. And uh, that's why I say we, you know, run into the private land guys. You know, we've been hunting this public land and there's ladder stands and tree stands on the private land that you've never seen a hunter in. So it's just, you know, gun season activity. Well, every freaking one of them tree stands when that, you know, the third year of that big one being around had crossbow hunters and um, that was 2020. So, you know, all these private land guys, they're after the same deer because all the, all the tree stands that were, you know, vacant until gun season, now they're full of crossbow hunters. Yeah. I seen one, I say every, every freaking one of them was a crossbow hunter, except for one guy I seen, he had a vertical bow. And then last year going back there and hunting again, all them tree stands were vacant again. So, you know, they were after that buck. Yeah. And then, well, you know, that's how it goes. Anyways, Corey, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. This is just a hoot. I love, I love chatting with you, man. I hope to see you in person at one of the events. Cause I'm going to make it to all of them. I don't have any, um, uh, conflicts this year. So I'm pretty excited about that. As long as nobody dies, I'll be, I'll be all right now since the, the pandemic has died down. I don't think we're going to have to worry about COVID spiking anymore. Yeah, I'll have to get in touch with you when I find a weekend that I can uh, make it to one of them. Yeah, definitely. I will be there and we can sit down and have a conversation. Hopefully Johnny yeah. can come down, but man, that guy's schedule is so busy with the railroads. Yeah, I don't think it's his schedule is so busy. He just doesn't get any vacation time is what it boils down to. I think he, he stockpiles it all for, for a rut. Yeah, that's, I say that's, that's Johnny's issue is, uh, you know, he doesn't get a whole lot of vacation time, so he's got to use it wisely. Mm-hmm. And with the with the new and with the the new addition this past yep. uh, that's his, his time is even more stretched thin stretched thin so so yeah. Corey what's the best ways to 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 uh, digest your content? Uh, I mean Facebook and Instagram that's where um, we're the most active is on the Tenacious Hunter pages, and then my personal accounts and then the YouTube YouTube too. Um, like to get, I'd like to get out more YouTube uh, videos, but I'm just so busy and you only have so many hours in a day to, you know, sit down and do a YouTube video. And I'm such a perfectionist, you know, I don't like putting out, you know, crappy quality YouTube videos or half, you know, half ass. And I like to sit down and, you know, I'll spend, you know, four or five, six hours on a, a video before I feel like it's good enough to put it up. I know the feeling. I usually put about two or three hours into a podcast before it hits the air. So I know the feeling, but now it's like, I've been able to um, stockpile all these episodes. So I'm booked up. I still have well tonight. I will the next several weeks. I have a podcast Saturday and or Sunday and Monday. So I have all these things. So it's like, I have to be strategic on what I talk about each episode. So this way it's like, I don't want to talk about past tense. Yeah. That's like me with the, like the Turkey hunting, you know, we all love turkey hunting. That's fun. But, you know, when it comes to putting it on YouTube, I mean, it's, you know, nobody watches it. I, I put up a turkey video a month ago or so. And, you know, it's a video that I stuck, you know, four or five hours worth of editing in. And I don't even think a hundred people will watch it yet. You know, it's, you have to really pay attention to your hashtags. And, and that's like, I have a buddy of mine that, that I wrote that I run the other podcast with, and he, we did a rundown cause we got, uh, we got um, banned for, we got suspended for a week. And he was telling me like, you really got to get to, what is it? To, there's a program you can download. It's called tag buddy or something like that, where, where you can type in key phrases for hashtags. And this way you can, mm-hmm. and you can 
figure out what the weight it carries and how often, how much it searches for it or, or how saturated the searching engine is or when you're, when you're putting stuff in. So it's like, you gotta be very specific on, on it to really get, get the traction you're looking for. It, it's a, it's a whole monster when you're trying to, to learn and uh, yeah, I, interpret YouTube. I say, I've never looked into that. I just, you know, try and do my best and put a hundred 110% into my editing and getting it to you know, look nice and get it on there and just, you know, hope people start watching it and sharing it. That is the way to have to be, you know, well, anyways, Corey, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Yep, sounds good. Thanks for uh, chatting and bringing me on again. You're welcome.